Welcome, everybody. This is Human Capital, a goal span podcast, and I'm Jeff Hunt. Human Capital is the place where I interview top business thought leaders to uncover the deeply human aspect of work. My guest today is Rob Giglio, who is the Chief Marketing Officer at DocuSign and happens to be a friend of mine. I love that his LinkedIn profile says he, quote, leads a team that encourages the world to be more agreeable. We are in radical need of more agreeableness in this world, not only when executing agreements, but also in our collective humanity. Rob came to DocuSign after 11 years at Adobe, where he was Senior Vice President of Worldwide Sales for Digital Media and was, had P&L responsibility for over 7 billion, and yes, billion with a B. He is currently uh, leading significant sales growth at DocuSign, and I think you'll discover from my conversation with Rob that he is one of these infectiously positive people who, like so many of my guests, just make you better when you spend time with them. So welcome, Rob. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is a really high bar that you just set, Jeff, but I will, uh, I'll endeavor to do my best. I, I love the fact that you hit on the, um, the fact that we are interested. I personally am interested in helping the world to be more agreeable. It's, it's a, it's a company mission, but it's, it's just such a um, higher order goal, I think, for all of us to find common ground. Yeah, I'm really, I'm actually looking forward to unpacking that in a couple different ways in our conversation. And it's so relevant this year with all of the disruption and disunity that is occurring in our country and actually around the world. So um, let's talk about that. I actually love to start all our guests with a common question. And it's what, tell me about your journey into business and more specifically, you know, rewind the movie all the way back and tell me who or what in your younger life inspired you to go into business and specifically into leadership? Yeah, well, um, I think it, it's never any one thing. Like certainly there are a lot of little touch points along the way, um, but, but the most, I think, continuous and most pressing factor was my dad. And my dad um, worked in big organizations early in his career and then decided he was more of an entrepreneur and um, helped out small companies, helped small companies to grow, both um, with operations leadership as well as general management. And um, dinner table conversation was often like the, the stuff of, hey, I have this leadership team and we have this dysfunction, or hey, we have a sourcing problem. How would you think about solving it? And so a lot of our just day-to-day -day conversations were very casual ones about business challenges and how he would think about it. And he was always great about asking me, what would I do? Like, how would I handle it? And, you know, maybe I was like 10 and I didn't know the answers to those things, but that, that just got me interested in the stuff of business and in particular general management. I think mm -hmm. that was without a doubt. And um, somebody said early in my career, but I think probably I knew this all along, that business is sport for adults. And I love that phrase Yeah, because, um, you know, you have to work as a team. You have a common objective. You can log some wins and losses. Um, just because you lose a couple of games along the way doesn't mean you're going to lose the season. 
just because you didn't do well in the season doesn't mean you're not going to do well in your career. And I just, I mean, metaphorically, I always thought that was, was pretty accurate. And I've shared that with a lot of younger um, people starting their careers in business. Yeah, that's really cool. And actually in sports, um, disruption makes you better, right? So, I mean, yeah. you make mistakes and then you climb back and you do better and you practice harder and you do it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that probably embodies my approach to business. Like I was um, telling someone we were doing a mentoring session at work this last week and they were sort of asking like, you know, what did I think led me to the success that I've had? And, and I said, well, it is definitely not my intellect. It is definitely <laughs> simply that I was willing to work really hard, you know, all along the way that I, I kind of classify myself as a grinder. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's clarify that a little because you do have an MBA from USC. And it's also unique that you have that in finance because you're a marketing guy, right? Yeah. I didn't know the language of business. So, you know, right. early in my career, I started my career at Procter & Gamble and um, I bounced around through a number of really great roles there. I had amazing mentors along the way when I was there. And early on, some of my mentors would just comment on that, that they felt like my communication skills were very strong. They felt like my instincts around leadership and providing direction were good. I was good with customers. Um, but I didn't, I didn't know the first thing of a balance sheet versus a statement of cash flows versus an income statement. I really, I didn't understand like what they called the language of business, which was really the backbone of how does business work? And so when I went to USC, it, it, you don't really have any one concentration. It's a, it's a very general management education, but um, I really took more finance classes when I could, more accounting classes when I could. Um, and for a little minute, I actually thought I might want to go into accounting. I loved cost accounting. Sure. That's, a weird, that's a weird thing for a marketer, but I, I really, I just liked the way it balanced itself out. I think it played to my, uh, my slight OCD. <laughs> some people might say it's not slight but whatever i got you know sure well i think that finance background absolutely gives you a roundedness that um, a lot of leaders don't have so i think that's huge um, and i really appreciate your mentioning your dad because so often family is the greatest influencer in our inspiration and desire to do what we do whether it's business or music or or anything so it sounds like you guys had some really good dinner dinner table conversations no question. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit more about DocuSign. And, you know, before I do, we, on the Human Capital podcast, we don't do commercials, but I have to put in a plug for DocuSign. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to do that because at Goalspan, we're a software company, which is, of course, contract intensive. We use DocuSign to execute all our agreements. I absolutely love it. It's basically one of those things that after you implement it, you can't imagine not doing it because we used to literally like, you know, print out the document and then we would sign it and then scan it. And then you have to send it to somebody and then they print it, they sign it, they scan it. The whole thing's a total pain in the rear. So that's <laughs> my you, plug. Jeff. And, but one other thing I'll say is what's interesting is DocuSign is like probably becoming a noun kind of like Kleenex, you know, you used to say, um, hand me a tissue, but now you sort of say, hand me a Kleenex. <laughs> yeah. So maybe with DocuSign, it'll be like, um, you know, I'm going to send you a DocuSign. Is that actually? <laughs> I think that sometimes happens. We, we, uh, we were excited this last weekend, our, our leadership team, actually the whole company, 
um, we were in uh, a comic. Like we actually, the DocuSign brand name made it into a comic and it was a, a baseball coach telling the players at the end of the game, all right, good game, everyone. Uh, why don't you go ahead and put on your masks and go DocuSign some autographs for the fans. <laughs> and for us, you know, that's just like, this, this, this comic writer could have put in the Sunday comics anything they wanted and they, they picked us to do that. And yes. that was incredibly flattering. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't mind if, if that's just how the whole world thinks about digitally signing and, and digitally agreeing and managing contracts. Yes. Um, that would be amazing. Um, but, yeah. you know, I think a lot of it comes from the, the millions and millions of people that sign documents. Like, it's one thing to be a company like yours sending the document, but it's another when you look at the volume of signers. Like, they're now aware of our brand in a way that's really positive because, you know, a good portion of them become senders. So that's how we see the world, senders and signers. And a lot of the signers ultimately become senders. Um, so it's important to us to have a great customer experience throughout. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, and I actually, it's sort of a, a good segue. You guys are experiencing pretty major growth this year from a revenue standpoint. And I guess I'm curious, and I know a lot of our listeners are probably curious about is is this growth in part due to the way to changes in terms of how people are doing business and uh, you know obviously you're a very innovative company you have a lot of uh very uh well-designed products that solve significant problems for your customers but we're also in a year of a massive pandemic where people you know work from home is the new norm remote working so how has all of that changed for DocuSign and has that led to revenue growth for you guys? Yeah, well, I think um, it, it's fairly well publicly documented, so I'm comfortable sharing yeah. that, yeah, there's no question that um, the move to remote work um, and just being remote in general, engaging with each other remotely, like using Zoom like we are today to do this this podcast, that, that move to remote triggered um, a bit of a watershed moment because there were very many organizations like, you know, tens of thousands um, or more organizations that are waiting to make a digital transformation. So, you know, like you, they're sensitive to this like really inefficient paper process, mm -hmm. but for maybe for whatever reason, they just hadn't hit the tipping point, you know, like for you, you hit the tipping point because you saw it as more efficient. You understood it. You're technically savvy. So for you, it was easy to, to implement DocuSign. A lot of businesses and a lot of organizations maybe were planning on it. It was on their roadmap. They just didn't have the moment to push. And then with all the shelter in place and remote work, immediately um, we saw a massive influx of need from our customers to do things that they couldn't otherwise do. The banks, thinking about the PPP loans, you know, we were there to help the banks um, administer the contractual process of, of these loans. And those are just small examples. I didn't go into like all the ins and outs of it, but you could imagine that there's lots of businesses, lots of enterprises, lots of public sector, healthcare, lots and lots of industries that, um, that just, you know, we were happy to be able to help during that time. Yeah, that's great. And it almost seems as though COVID was this massive catalyst for change. So organizations that, you know, thinking about the way they were handling agreements immediately it became a catalyst to uh, do it in a better way, um, yeah. which is kind, yeah. of, kind of a cool thing. 
So. It is really cool. Our our, um, our CEO is quoted um, just recently on a financial investment TV show. And one of the things he made the comment, I think his words were, businesses and people just won't go back on something like a digital experience, a digital signature, a digital contract lifecycle management system, because they see the benefits of how much better it is. Yes. And so as a marketer, my challenges and our company's challenges is to show people just how much better it could be, that it's, yeah. it's more efficient, it's more secure, more reliable, your customers like it better. I mean, who doesn't love just signing something quickly? Like you were talking about having to print out a PDF and then sign yeah. it and send it back to you. Like nobody likes that. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah, the opportunity cost of not changing is very high. Let's yeah. just put it that way, for sure. Yeah. So uh, what, what, internally, what are your core values and sort of how do you see them lived out in the workplace at DocuSign? Yeah. So uh, we have three values that we um, share. They're a part of our performance review. They're a part of our culture. Mm -hmm. they're, um, they're in the fabric of the company. Mm -hmm. We even, when we interview, we even interview for these things. Um, and the three are trusted, love, and responsible. And nice. um, it was interesting because like, I'll give you a great example of where they came out like loud and clear. Is like literally the first or second week of March when the pandemic was like spiking. There was a lot of uncertainty. Um, our volume just like, like grew so quickly. And there was a lot of confusion in the company about how do we react to this? Like, how, how do we respond? Do we, are we aggressive in the way that we market against this big swing of volume? Are we, um, are we thoughtful? Are we passive? Like we, we really were challenged with, from a sales and a marketing standpoint, what's our, what's our approach? Yes. And it was, it was great because we had a task force and the task force pulled out the values and said, well, no matter what, we're going to use these three values as a guiding framework for how we're going to help prospects and customers. And so like trusted as an example, um, we had to make sure that we were doing things that were trustworthy to our customers, that they understood what they were signing up for, that, you know, they didn't just sort of, try to meet a need really quickly without actually understanding how it was going to work and that they could trust us to do the right thing on their behalf. And so, you know, that's probably the most um, salient example. I was, I was really new with the company. I'd been with the company for like two weeks. Sure. And in that moment, like I had this, like, okay, I joined the right company. Yeah. Like the fact that this is how we're thinking about responding just really was great. Yeah. And, I, I love that example because really what you're saying is that core values, when they're truly embodied into the organization, serve as a defining moment for decisions. And so when we're in a pinnacle place, rather than making an emotion, emotionally based decision, if we go back to our core values and what we hold dear and they make up our fabric, then we're going to make better decisions than if we're just sort of doing it willy nilly. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you don't have to have a list of, of 500 values to give you enough of an anchor that it can guide your, your behavior and guide your interaction with customers and employees and shareholders. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think at Adobe, we had far more. We had, I think, three times that number. Sure. It didn't feel like too many, but, yeah. um, but having just three, trusted, loved, and responsible is enough of a framework that um, it helps guide our actions. So it's, it's great. And it's, it's pretty um, profound how often 
parts of the organization refer to this. Like in, in some places, it's only the human resources organization or the right. people team. Right. Um, but that's not the case. Like marketing, sales, customer success, finance, will pull out the, um, the DocuSign values pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. I love it. Um, okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. And I want to talk about a little bit more about the pandemic. I know you used to be a global jet setter and um, <laughs> <laughs> we're on the plane a lot. <laughs> that, was, that was a hard badge to wear. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess I'm wondering your thoughts about how you think the pandemic will permanently change business travel. And do you yeah. see it as a positive or negative? Well, I think it's mixed. I think it's mixed. I think, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, I traveled to an excess, like, like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I, what I, what I didn't love about it, what I, which I'm glad is not the case now is I, I was away from my family. Um, it's really hard on your body. It costs yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. Um, it's really taxing. For sure. Um, the good parts of it though, I always felt like outweighed the, the personal sacrifices that I may have been making. Cause I, I felt like I could be closer to the, our customers. Sure. I could be closer to our teams in those regions. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was a way to make sure I had a, a very outside in perspective on our business. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's any way you can't get that on zoom. Like I'm, yeah. I'm super convinced you right. can't get a real engaged discussion with a customer on zoom. You can have a, a, a discussion, but you can't, it's not the same. No. Like having a cup of coffee or lunch with a customer, you get deeper into the discussion about their business and how they think and what motivates them and why did they pick you or why didn't they pick you? And I think those things are really important. So I don't know, I'm meandering a little bit on your, on your question, but I, I think travel is important mm -hmm. for business. Um, I think we probably all did it too much because it just kind of, the volume of travel just kind of built on itself. Like, oh, I, I went on 15 trips last year. I should go on 16 trips this year. And mm -hmm. it just kind of escalated. There was oftentimes the sense that if you didn't travel, then your budget was going to go away. And so you'd find people planning themselves into travel that was unneeded. And sure. so that was all really inefficient. And so I, I don't think we go back to that. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure we don't. I think we're going to all be much more thoughtful about using video when we can and mm -hmm. being in person when it makes sense. Yeah. So it sounds like the in-person trips and meetings maybe take on a new significance in the future when we're able to do that again. We're yeah. more intentional and strategic about how we use those. And does that kind of make sense? Yeah, totally. I think there's, it's actually interesting because when I think about the time that I might've spent in say Tokyo, um, like I probably could spend half the time in Tokyo in the future yeah. and get every bit the value. So oh, a lot sure. of the things that we would have done in person, we could do on video. Yeah. And the things that we couldn't do on video, we will do in person. So the, the coffee, the lunch, the dinner, yeah. the meeting where we, we spend a lot of time talking about the business and how we as a, a vendor could be better. Like sure. that just, you have to have that. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Awesome. So, all right, this is an interesting question, but there's a lot of learning that I think is going to come out of your answer, at least, and that's my guess <laughs> for our <laughs> listeners. So I'm, I, I'd like to know, without you naming any names or companies, 
I want you to describe the worst performance conversation you've ever had in your career, either as an employee or a manager. So it doesn't matter to me. And yep. maybe share, like, why was it so bad? What would have made it better? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, this is such an easy one because I remember it like it was yesterday. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, don't name any names. So I won't. Um, it was my... It was my very first job in my very first, like, maybe two months. Mm -hmm. And I was reporting to someone um, who was a very challenging manager. Like, this person was really hard to work for. They were, um, we can just leave it at that. Um, and I was invited to get a performance review from a skip level. So that was a pretty normal thing at this particular sure. company to do skip level performance reviews. It wasn't just a check-in. It was actually like, okay. let me tell you how you're doing. We'll talk about your performance. Mm -hmm. And before that, um, before that skip level performance review happened, um, this is before email, by the way, this just okay. shows you how long ago this was. I got a letter and the letter said, um, looking forward to the review, da, 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 da. I would like you to answer these questions. And there was a certain set of questions about my own performance. And then a, a lot of questions about my manager's performance. Ah. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. Like I really didn't. I just was, I was very open. Sure. I was very direct. I didn't wonder why that question was happening. And I typed up my, my own performance review, like literally on a typewriter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> made a copy of it at the, at the Kinko's sure. and, and went in for my review and it, the review basically turned into a, I want you to review your boss and I want you to tell me all the things that are awful about your boss. Oh boy. And, and it got really documented. Uh -oh. And after that review, I didn't have any better sense of what I was either good or not good at. Sure. I didn't really share much about what I, you know, my own sort of self-assessment because all the conversation was angled at this manager because the skip level manager was really actually trying to counsel this person out of the company. Wow. Yeah. And um, it was super weird and it had like lasting little sort of follow-ups where like a month later, somebody from human resources asked me about this document that I had yeah. typed up <laughs> that gave my manager a performance review. And, you know, it was just, sure. it was, it was a great lesson. I was, I don't know, 21 years old, right. Like right out of undergrad. And at that point I was realizing like, oh, okay, this is real, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so much learning comes uh, from those experiences, right? But I'm yeah. sure you're a much better leader as a result of having experienced that. Well, I certainly am more savvy about, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about sharing opinions. Like yeah. I, I'm much more thoughtful about, huh, how will this help or hurt someone else? Um, and is that really what I wanna do? So. Yeah, exactly. Um, and speaking of like performance management, performance reviews, uh, what, what does that look like at DocuSign? Yeah, it's, um, it's fairly similar to the last couple of companies I've been at. So I think it's probably maybe an example of best practices. I would guess That's if there was like a, if there was a best practice, it is. Yeah. We basically have two time periods. We do a mid-year and we do an end of year. Mm -hmm. Um, both of them are well-documented. The intent of the mid-year is a calibration discussion on here's how you're doing so far. Here's 
things you should do more of, things you should do less of. Um, it has a little bit of focus on uh, outcomes. So it's a little bit about the results year to date, but it's a lot about how you got to the results as opposed to got just it. the results. I so see. we don't spend a lot of time on like, oh, you're 12% above quota. We spend a lot of time on, um, I like the way that your you know, communication skills have improved. You're leading your team more effectively, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so those are the two major factors. The, the year end is the kind of formal end of year performance review. Uh -huh. It's far more um, documented. It's, it's yeah. bigger. It takes more yeah. time. Uh -huh. The conversation is longer. Uh, and then there's talent calibration that takes place basically between the mid-year and the year end. And talent calibration is basically by level, mm -hmm. um, a review of, we, we now use a six box, but you, you know, a lot of people use a two box, sure. you know, performance and potential is usually yeah. the, the two axes. Yeah. Um, and so we use a six, which is kind of just a more granular version of the same thing. Yeah. And we basically place people, we have a group discussion on them. Why are they in those boxes? So that other leaders around the organization will get a sense of the, the talent, the opportunity. I, I think it's really good. It's, yeah. it feels lightweight. It's very technically enabled. Like mm -hmm. we have this system. Um, I don't remember the name of the system. Maybe that's not important. We branded it DocuSign. Sure. But um, having that, that digital system and sending the email prompts and kind of guiding us through it, back to your point about digital transformation, yes. is awesome. Because yes. I used to hate like download the form, open it in Acrobat, type in my comments in the field, save it back. <laughs> it was like nightmare. Yes, exactly. That's really cool. Well, and of course, we live and breathe at it, Goalspan. So it's yeah, that's what you guys are all about. I think what I really loved about what you shared is how inclusive it is about how things are accomplished in addition to what. Because if you do have a rock star performer, whether let's say they're a salesperson and they knock the ball out of the park every quarter, but nobody can get along with them, like are they really a five on their or even if you're not doing numerical ratings, are they really like the top performer? I don't think so. It's I don't think nuanced. so either. I don't think so either. Like how do you distill a person's overall performance into one average number? Like it's- Yeah, you just can't. You just you can't. can't. It's very, very tricky. So Yeah, that's, that's actually one of the reasons why I like that talent calibration process, whether you use a two box, a six box, sure. a nine box. Yeah. It doesn't really matter because you get, you get a sense of like this person's performance across multiple attributes. Yes, definitely. Okay. All right. A couple more questions and then we'll go to kind of some lightning round questions. All right. Uh, I just am curious at your opinion as somebody who's not, you know, we have, we have a lot of leaders and, and non-leaders listening to this podcast. Also, we have a, a pretty large, pretty good HR contingent. And so as somebody who's not an HR person, but has had experience at the executive level over a, a, a career. Tell me what you feel are the most important things that HR can do to improve the value they bring organizations. Yeah, yeah. that's a, a, that's an awesome question. Um, I would say that anybody who's listening, who's an HR, HR person, um, I think are just a reminder that you're in, you're literally the, pivot person in the people game. Like you're like, you're the human person. And, um, and if I'm the salesperson, I'm the customer person. If I'm the marketing person, I'm the prospect person. Um, if I'm the customer success person, I'm the post-purchase person. 
the, the one group in the entire organization that's the people person yeah. is human resources. And so I think it's important to have the systems and processes that, that keep the machine moving, the people machine moving. Like that's just kind of the, the framework of good people management and people leadership. Mm-hmm. But if, if it stops right there, then it's a total miss. Like, like the thing that I most um, appreciate from really good human resources partners or HRBPs mm-hmm. is when they're actually engaged in the team that they're working with. Like they really understand the culture of the team. They really understand the levels of engagement from the various participants on the team. And they see it as a part of their responsibility to get the most out of the team. Like it's not just the, let's say, you know, I'm, I'm lead marketing. It's not just the head of marketing's responsibility to get the most out of the marketing organization. Granted, I take that responsibility. I definitely feel like that is. Yeah. But when I have a human resources partner who also sees that as their charter, it's way more powerful. Like, I mean, incredible. And, yeah. and then you work together on what are we doing to engage the team and what kind of engagement do we need? Do we need training? Do we need um, career development? Do we need small coaching? Like, what is it that we need to make the team perform at the highest levels? Sure. Um, there's no like process and system that can get that out of an organization. You have to have those things, but it's really the, the HR person who helps drive that. Yes. And I've had some, some pretty amazing HR business partners over the years where they, they, that's how they think. They really think of it as like, hey, this is our team together and I'm going to help get the most out of this team with you. That's awesome. Yeah, that is really cool. It's almost like you're describing having a really good wingman yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if you have that, you know, they have your back, they're going to support you and um, it's going to execute of, better. That's exactly right. It's the same thing as, as I've always had a finance partner who yes. was, who was, maybe you think of it as like the finance person was always my right hand person yep. and a good HR person is my left hand person. Like oh, it's, yeah. the, it's the money, the planning, the, the forecasting, the analysis, the choices, the resource allocation. Yeah. over on one side mm-hmm. and then it's the people side the how do you get the most out of this team that you've got how do you help them get better how what processes do you need to put in place to improve the way you work mm-hmm. individually what things do you do to make every single participant of the team that much stronger yes like, those are the two kind of for me those are the two yeah. main i guess right hand people left hand people sure the other thing i like about what you're saying is that Oftentimes in organizations, HR has looked at, at sort of this other department that's just sort of out there in the ether and they're managing all these things uh, but, and they're helping the organization run. But you're talking about having them having the, the more indoctrinated, inculcated approach where they're literally into the fabric of the organization. So, yeah, I yeah. really appreciate that. Okay, let's shift and talk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some some lightning round questions at you. So All right. uh, Rob has not heard these questions in advance. And so you can just share whatever comes to mind. There's no okay. right or wrong answer. And um, some of them are pretty easy, but we are, we are very close. You know, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. So I'm going to start with this one. What are you most grateful for? Oh boy. Um, I'm most grateful for my family. Mm-hmm. I have, um, we don't have a huge family, 
Um, my immediate family is just the four of us. And then um, we don't have a lot of cousins or aunts or uncles that, that are involved, but we're a very close, small family. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful for, for them and how we're in each other's lives. Like, yes. That's a, that's a pretty special thing. Yeah. Um, COVID has made us all grateful for things with a new perspective, hasn't it? This, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Pandemic. So, okay. Number two, you've literally been all over the world, Rob. What is your absolute favorite place and why? And does it have anything to do with surfing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say uh, yes and yes. Uh, wow. To pick a single favorite is really hard, Jeff. So I'm going to say two things. Okay. One of them is I'm going to say Sydney, Australia is my favorite place to visit. Yes, it has a lot to do with surfing. And yes, it has a lot to do with the team that um, I worked with down there. I, I absolutely loved them. Yeah. Um, actually, I loved all the teams that I had. I was really lucky. I had great people working on my team. Uh, but I love Sydney. I love the attitude, the weather. It reminds me of, of San Diego, which is where I went to undergrad. So it, it gives me a real familiar thing. Yes. And then I would say, I was either going to say Kamakura or Tokyo. I'm going to go with Kamakura, mainly because someone who worked for me um, at Adobe lives in Kamakura. And so when I would go to Tokyo, I would oftentimes stay the weekend, go to his house, be with his family, meet his friends. And he was just such a warm, generous person. Um, mm. And there was good surfing nearby. So I think you put the surfing in the people yeah. and the culture. It's, yeah. Yeah. That's what I loved about traveling, really, is getting exposed to the people and the cultures. For sure. I made some really wonderful friends doing that. Great. What habit have you picked up since COVID, either good or bad? <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't had shoes on in like seven months. Oh, nice. So that's, <laughs> I, I wear flip-flops and shorts and I, and I go like, you know, the dress shirt, dress top. Yes. That's probably one. Uh, yeah, that, oh, let's yeah. leave it at that. All right. <laughs> Yeah, comfort's been become incredibly important. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite food? Oh, that's super hard. Um, probably just, I like Mexican food best. I would go with Mexican food. Okay. And two more. What's your, how about a top book recommendation? Oh my gosh. Um, I read, did you, I guess you know this. I read a lot. I really like to read. Yeah. Um, and there's too many good ones to just pick one. But I, there is one that I go back to a lot. I've probably read it like five times. I read it in college. It's definitely like a high school, college book that you can keep picking up. It's The Confederacy of Dunces. Oh, nice. It's Gerald. It's okay. fantastic. It's a, it's a satire on human behavior. Yeah. So um, anyone in HR might enjoy it because it's just this really – funny, sad character. It's really, it's a great book. Um, and then, and then in general, I love anything that relates to perseverance and adventure. So I read a lot of like, like a, a classic one that I read a while was Endeavor. Okay. Shackleton's um, yes. Adventure, Skeletons in the Sahara. Oh, was nice. a really, a really favorite of mine. That was about mm -hmm. um, some traders that were washed ashore and taken as slaves. Really interesting. Um, Awesome. Recently, I just read one, um, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name, so maybe I won't even say it, but it's about, it was about the Great Migration 
um, during Jim Crow era. Okay. Um, of blacks leaving the South and coming to the North. And it, it chronicles like three different families and their experiences from the 19, like 30s all the way through to the 1970s. They went to, some of them went to New York, some went to Boston, some went to Chicago and some came to um, California. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. It was a perspective that I, they don't teach in high school or college no. that I really personally didn't have and I found it fascinating. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I actually also, uh, I'm gonna just add one. The New Jim Crow, if you haven't read it, is quite an amazing book speaking about um, how systemic racism has um, sort of become in our country. So that just made me think of that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. last question for you is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've... I think I've received a lot of pieces of advice. I, I was I was the kind of kid who needed a lot of advice growing up. Probably still do. But I think uh, my dad my dad um, used to use a phrase. He still does. He uses it all the time, um, and it's great advice. And I took it to heart. And the phrase is the most worthy deed helps someone else succeed. Oh, that's great. And I love that. Um, and I think that I think I've tried to make a career of that. Mm -hmm. And it has served me really, really well. Yes. The most worthy deed helps somebody else succeed. Yep. That's awesome. Well, that is a, a great note to finish on. So Rob, I just want to thank you so much for investing time out of your incredibly busy schedule to be with me today and to share a lot of great wisdom with our audience. I was happy to do it. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for listening to the show this week. We release a new episode of Human Capital on the first and third Tuesday of each month. I would really like to know what you thought of this episode. Send your comments to humancapital at goalspan.com. Human Capital is produced by Goalspan. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and please share this podcast with your colleagues, team, or friends. Thanks for being human, kind.